when you're only running Google Ads, and especially if you are on a budget of, say, 10K or less per month, even 20K or less per month, you're going to be running a lot of search, shopping, and this is for e-com, of course, and dynamic remarketing. And now if you're in lead gen, you're going to be running a lot of non-brand search. What we've seen here in this example is the impact that top of funnel awareness can have. Obviously, that's an influencer who has a lot of followers, a lot of impact, but it's not necessary to have that every time. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello, and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show, the show where we talk about all different levels of customer acquisition through the funnel, the customer acquisition path, and basically everything that goes into helping you acquire customers and increase their lifetime value. Today, we're joined yet again by our awesome Google team. Welcome, Nick, Surid, and Ollie. Hello. Hey, everyone. Hello, guys. Hello. How are you guys doing? All good. good. All good. good. Doing, doing great. Doing great, yeah. The topic is always what's working now in Google Ads. So what's working now? Well, lots. <laughs> There's always a lot that's working with Google and the Google Ads platform. What's your uh, general sentiment right now? Are you feeling happy? I'm mostly, I think, excited about the Google Ads platform. Results are, yeah, obviously, it always depends on the offer, the other marketing channels in the mix. But there's just so many developments in the pipeline for Google Ads. And with that, Google keeps their cards very close to their chest. But for example, the amount of beta features in beta for Performance Max is quite astounding. So Google has usually, if you look at their announcements, they release an announcement every month or so. But they had a gap between November of last year. And recently, they released an announcement about their privacy sandbox. But that just tells me there's something brewing and there's some very exciting announcements coming soon with the platform. That's how I feel about Google Ads right now. Performance Max, what I am noticing is it's getting better and better as the time is progressing. The performance is more stabilizing and the new features that are being launched. I'm pretty excited to see what is coming next. And Ollie, how are you feeling about Google Ads these days? You're muted. What I'm feeling, I still also think Performance Max is on the right path, but I'm also still focusing on a mix of new new strategy and still the good old one. So still in the mix. I'm very excited also. But I still like the basis also. So mix of both. Okay. Getting on to some of our topics, like what's general performance like across the agency? Our performance is good. Uh is overall is high. You know, these guys have just been producing some incredible results. In one account, Sherrod has I'll let him talk about it, but he has had an experience recently where an account went from 2.5x, which is actually within KPI for this account, but it went to 15x in one day due to the impact of an, of an influencer posting a YouTube video. But I'll let Shurid talk about that. Yeah, that highlights like how important it is to have our personal campaigns because for that campaign, what we have been doing primarily is some performance max campaign, which are going mostly to the shopping and search ads, as, as well as some traditional search campaigns, branded search, non-branded search. And the performance always have been stable, like 
the account have ROAS target of 2.5 to be profit profitable and we have been very consistent with that but what we observed recently was pretty unusual and we saw that the performance spiked from average to 2.5 to 2.25 to straight to 15x ROAS in a in for in a day and it continued and it's still going on 7x 8x every day and which is absolutely crazy and so there are a couple of reasons what happened like along the same time we also tested some new strategies which also coincidentally happened at the same time which allo- which allowed us to have more clicks within that and which also reduced our cost per clicks at also like previously in the branded campaign for that particular client we our average cpc was around $9 $10 and with the new set of new strategy that we launched that helped us to reduce it to 30 cents which is ridiculous and with this upper funnel traffic which was boosted and the influencer that created a video which had an impact which helped us to accommodate more clicks and have a better roas yeah so that that is a very exciting account can you talk a little bit about like from like a customer's perspective what that looks like in their and how they're interacting with the brand what are they seeing the influencer ad and then searching or are they clicking or like how's that look yeah what happened the influencer created a video highlighting one of their products and just mentioned their name and showed one of their product they didn't link it to anything because it was not a paid collaboration or something and we are actually not aware of that this influencer is doing that and he have 2 million plus subscribers and what happened we saw a massive surge in demand for branded traffic and initially on that same time we were noticing actually we are noticing the decline in brand campaigns performance and the brand campaign at that time was in negative roas to and we are seeing massive surge in the cost per click and the brand campaign was running with google's automated bidding strategy maximize conversion value and it was consuming its budget within say few clicks they it's not very large brand and we have limited budget on that what we did for that like we launched an experiment with a enhanced cpc campaign since it the other brands were not directly competing for its brand keyword we put a bit cap of the on the bit like a 30 cents bit bit cap with enhanced cpc and which helped us to limit that cost per click and since those keywords are not really competitive google managed to give us click within that particular bit limit that we set and what happened afterwards it's we are started getting chip clicks and with that upper funnel traffic that was coming on which were directly searching for the brand because the influencer mentioned the brand's name we were able to accommodate a lot and lot of clicks within that particular sub, sub particular limited budget that we had and uh, which resulted in shooting up brand campaigns to 15x roas and also what we noticed improvement in performance max also which is not related to brand campaigns so what it did is overall created a demand for that sort of product because it's a very niche brand and since someone who have a high amount of subscriber did a video on that created a sort of demand on that audience base and we noticed a lot of search in the non brand terms as well like for that type of products 
and which resulted in increase in performance max campaigns and performance max campaigns went from 3x ROAS to 8x, 9x, 10x and which had it, it had been doing that. It's still going on, which is like absolutely crazy. So our next step would be to keep that upper funnel going on, maybe launch some uh, more YouTube campaign and maybe collaborate with more influencers because this is the proof that how important it is to have the upper funnel campaigns like influencer marketing or Facebook ads. Yeah, it reaffirms how important it is for the entire marketing mix. In regards, when I'm saying performance is good, I am referring overall in our, our accounts at the moment, it's across the agency. So yes, e-com, lead gen, uh, uh, both. I wouldn't be completely accurate if I said there weren't some accounts that have challenges. We always run into that, of course. But it's actually interesting because the accounts right now where we are having some challenges are accounts where the focus is solely on the Google Ads. And what we're looking to do now is implement CAMP, which is Tier 11's customer acquisition amplification, to add some other channels and specifically top of funnel channels for these accounts. Because when you're only running Google Ads, and especially if you are on a budget of, say, 10K or less per month, even 20K or less per month, you're going to be running a lot of search, shopping, and this is for e-com, of course, and dynamic remarketing. And now if you're in lead gen, you're going to be running a lot of non-brand search. What we've seen here in this example that Sherrod's just spoken about is the impact that top of funnel awareness can have. And that is, obviously, that's an influencer who has a lot of followers, a lot of impact, but it's not necessary to have that every time. If you have the right content and you know your customers, then YouTube is a very powerful top of funnel channel within the Google Ads platform. Now, YouTube is cost intensive. So that's why I say if you're 20K a month and under, Facebook ads, paid social and organic social is, in my opinion, going to be the best bang for buck for getting top of funnel new eyeballs, new people into your ecosystem. Yeah, I kind of want to mess, talk a little bit more about this, kind of what happened to Surid and like going forward with the top of funnel. How do you guys identify when there is a positive spike, what's your thought process? Where do you identify it if you don't know exactly where it came from? And then how do you react to that? Well, it was a little bit of a mystery when we saw this spike for a, at least a few hours. We were trying to figure out, okay, is this something we just did in the ad account? And it didn't look like it was. And then we found out in the client said, oh, yes, this influencer has posted this video. And oh, okay, it all makes sense. But Google Analytics can be, I don't want to get obviously too much in the weeds here at all, but Google Analytics is a very powerful tool just to look at first-time visitors to your site. That's when you look at all your traffic coming, you can see the breakdown from Google Ads, Facebook Ads, organic traffic, email. And you can filter that by first-time visitors. So you do that, voila, you see the traffic channels that are bringing people for the very first time to your website. And that, that tells you, okay, where's my top of funnel traffic coming from? And then if you have an event like this, you can go back and see, okay, we saw a lot of direct traffic spike, but then the search, the Google search traffic also spike as people, like sure had said, it just created a frenzy. People search for the brand, but then they started searching for the similar products, which are basically they're a privacy focused product for devices. So for, like for your phone, your computers, things like that, it basically 
enables really intense privacy. And so there are all, as Shira said, like the non-brand people searching for products like this, everything just, like all the boats rose, everything increased in the account from this frenzy of awareness. It's also something that I think we've talked about this before. When you're running campaigns that are for top of funnel, you need to focus on MER, your total ad spend and your total return. Don't look at each channel. If you run Facebook ads to what we call level one, to cold traffic, which is people who have never heard of you before, don't expect that ROAS to be the same as your Google brand search because the people searching for your brand are right at the end of their journey. The people in the cold traffic are right at the start and that's going to cost more to, to acquire them. Same with YouTube. Don't judge those top of funnel uh, campaigns by comparing their ROAS to your bottle, bottom of funnel campaigns. And, and we have seen that in some cases. And we strongly guide and educate and recommend we not to take that approach. So say in this case, it was a surprise event. If this was something that you had planned, would, how would you adjust your budget? Would my mind, I'd think being the amateur media buyer, I would think, oh, I'd put more into branded search since I know people are likely going to be searching for that. Is that right? So in case, like when this first started to happen, I was also very skeptical about and I was not really aware of what's going behind the scene. We were not aware of the fact that it is happening due to certain increase in demand due to a influencer made the video. And at that moment, I was very tempted to put more money into it, put more money into other campaigns because everything was going pretty well. But that in this particular situation, like what we generally do as a rule of thumb, not make any hasty decision based on like certain changes unless what's been causing the issue. So in this, in this case also, we waited for a few days. We waited for a few days to actually find out why there is a certain increase in the performance. And when we did discover that, okay, it was due to some increase in the, the awareness and because of this video, there is an increase in demand. We focused our effort and energy into that. We focused our energy and effort into launching some upper funnel campaign or launching some YouTube campaigns, which will keep this particular demand going on. So that is very essential. Not really just look at the data and the numbers and, okay, this is working, just double the budget or triple the budget. That is something you must not do. I was saying that we were also, it was also a big thing that sure it changed to ECPC at the same time as the influencer boosts the traffic. I was wondering if, okay, we don't change the ECPC and we pay the maximum price for the branded campaign at the when the influencer does, it was another result. It's like when we were checking with that one of one of our clients lately, the branded campaign on maximum conversion can go completely completely crazy. That's why the ECPC, for, for me, it's very important on the branded campaign and it was done at the right time. And I mean, that is a very important point. So Google Ads has bidding strategies where in the beginning, it used to be you would bid on every on everything. You would, you would set a bid for, say, $1. And then if it was a certain location, you might increase that bid if that was, you'd see the pattern there or a certain time of day. Now Google has automated all of that. And it's very rare 
to actually find that you can beat Google's automated bidding by trying to do it manually. So automated bidding, the main two strategies are maximize conversions. And then one above that is maximize conversion value. And if you run maximize, now this is our take. Google will tell you something very different and some other advertisers might disagree, but here's why we don't like to run smart bidding on brand campaigns because Google is going to reward the most relevant advertiser, okay? And if your brand is, let's say it's Roger's sports shoes, okay, and people are searching for Roger's sports shoes and that's you, Google's going to reward you for showing your brand. And you, if you bid manually, you will your cost per click will be so much less and you'll show every time somebody searches for Roger's sports shoes. Now, if you run smart bidding, maximize conversions or maximize conversion value, that increases your cost per click. We see that. And the ROAS targets that you set, it's just, it's unnecessary. It's overkill for that traffic for your own brand. So we like to pay as little as possible for branded traffic for people searching for your brand. And like Shura had said, when he made that change, the amount of clicks that he got, the cost per click for that brand campaign went from like several dollars to under 30 cents. Brand campaigns, the keywords don't change. When people are searching for your brand, that always stays the same. You just don't want to pay too much for that traffic. You're back to old, 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 old time where you earned the, the 30 cent for a click. And not anymore, five or fifty dollar for it. Right. Yeah. If you want to talk about some niches where cost per click was actually over eight hundred dollars for one click, but it was, believe it or not, that was a amazing result for that one click, and we were very happy to pay for that click. <laughs> and if you want to hear all about how we did that we have a another customer acquisition show episode that we shot called personal injury lawyers and that's where we did it so go check that one out moving on to a couple of questions how do you improve lead quality and performance max have you solved it yet guys yeah i can talk yeah so <laughs> i'll start by the bad thing you we we don't use that much performance max for lead gen because there are some kind of a uh, let's say spam problem on that one but if you need some suggestion, I bet we would need to set up offline conversion. So offline conversion data would be important. I would use CAPTCHA also. And what else? I would try to teach Google your traffic, but it might take time and you might need to import your offline conversion also. But this, it's still a problem even after those suggestions. So I don't know if somebody want to continue on this, but it's still a spam problem, but you can make it better. That's do you make your conversion vent for that offline conversion? Sorry? Like what you're optimizing for? Is it Are you in this performance mass campaign you're describing optimizing for that offline conversion, or is it something a little higher in the funnel? Well, you would start by what when we were talking about that lately. You would start with a, a micro conversion, and the more you get, you improve your conversion. The more you get conversion, you have to feed Google and and, and teach him. Okay, that's the kind of conversion I, I would like to have. So you would import them and also set up the offline conversion data. Yeah. So when I mean, if you want to run lead gen for performance max, I mean, you should have a proper setup of offline conversions and 
then only you should go give it a try. Otherwise, if you are optimizing for leads or form fill-ups and things like that, and if you are running performance max, like what I have seen, like people look the leads that we are receiving looks like genuine email ID, genuine phone number and everything. And eventually they are all like spam and click fraud. So be very careful about doing performance maths with, I mean, for lead generation and create a setup, proper setup of offline conversion. And then only you can give it, I think you should give it a try. Yeah, give it a try. That's the word, yeah. Yeah, we are still, we haven't solved this problem yet. And we don't know of anybody who has. And we have had some success with offline conversion tracking. It wasn't strictly lead gen. It was more a trial of a product. And it was a free trial. And before we implemented offline conversion tracking, which would basically send the conversion back after somebody continued after their free trial and became a paid subscriber. In two cases, we've implemented this. And then the quality of the performance just improved night and night and day. But before that, if you're just optimizing for the free trial, it's too easy for the spam traffic to go and sign up for that. And then you get this feedback loop. Performance Max thinks it's doing well, but it's getting spam leads. And in other episodes, we've talked about why this happens. And Tom actually has in his Twitter, a big thread of how this happens and and why it happens. So yeah, Muscat, it's a really good question. And the adding on to what Ollie and Shuri said, we're still we're still working on this. It's yeah, it's possible to improve, but it's not yet there. Then that's that's my conclusion. All right. Do you have any cross-channel ad attribution implemented to gauge where to focus your ad dollars across the entire funnel? Yes. Yes, we do. And it's it varies depending on the account. So we use, in some accounts, we'll use tools like Northbeam. Wicked Reports, big shout out to Wicked Reports. We have a very close working relationship with them. They've released a feature called, I don't, I'm, I don't think it's secret. I know we got access to the beta, but it's called Funnel Vision. And it allows you to see, basically, look at the performance across the funnel and see which channels are contributing most to top, middle, and bottom of funnel. And it takes some configuration on our part to pay attention to what we want to call the top, middle, and bottom of funnel. And we're also working on a prototyping some reports based on, I won't go into the weeds, but it's, look, at the end of the day, what we're doing, trying to do with attribution is measure behaviors. And with our advertising, we're trying to influence behaviors that happen on a website. Okay, when you think about it, like all the landing page optimizations we do, all the ads we're running, what we're really trying to do is get people to move through our website, whether that's a Shopify store or it's a lead generation landing page, whatever that is. And there's certain behaviors that are going to identify when people become aware. For example, if they land on a page for 10 seconds, they're aware they're not junk traffic. They haven't landed and bounced and they didn't get there by accident. We can also track, and this is the thing, if something happens in a browser, it can be measured in some way, shape, or form. And this is where our conversion architecture team comes in to measure these behaviors. So if somebody stops and looks at a price for four seconds, that's a behavior. So we can then identify what kind of behaviors are people showing when they're aware? What kind of behaviors are they showing when they're engaged? And then what kind of, obviously, if they complete, if they purchase or they 
fill out a form or whatever it is, that's a completion. That's easy. And what can happen sometimes is we just, as advertisers, we can only focus on the end result. But when we measure what's happening, how people are getting there, that's something we're putting in place for all accounts at the moment. And then we can look at, okay, which traffic uh, sources are contributing most to awareness. And Facebook, we run a lot of Facebook traffic here at Tier 11. And that is, to, to this day, I think it's the best value top of funnel traffic source for businesses to start with to get new customers aware. After that, YouTube is more cost intensive. It takes longer to dial in. And then going on from there for engagement and completion, you get down to the bottom of the funnel, make sure your Google search campaigns and shopping campaigns are dialed in. And then Performance Max comes in and it adapts to everything that's going on and it'll it'll run top of funnel and middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, but Performance Max is not meant to be the only campaign in the account. So anyway, I sort of went off a tangent there, but yes, we are, the attribution is such an important conversation for any business and there's no silver bullet that will just set it up, forget it, and it runs and you never have to think about it again. You're always going to have to be thinking about attribution for as long as you're running paid advertising. And I'll say back to Wicked Reports, I know Scott from Wicked Reports will be on Perpetual Traffic in an upcoming episode. I imagine he's probably talking about Funnel Vision. Yes, it's really Um, exciting. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. But you mentioned MER earlier, marketing efficiency ratio, and now we're talking about channel-specific attribution. What do you use the two of those for? So marketing efficiency ratio is, again, that the approach where you're looking at your overall blended ad spend and then as a percentage of your overall revenue and knowing where that needs to be in order for you to be profitable. So we have some accounts where we may have 60% or 70% Facebook meta ads, TikTok ads, paid social, and then 30% is Google ads. And sometimes that's reverse. We might have 70% Google ads, 30% paid social, more retargeting on the paid social. So it's the approach to Mura managing that is paying attention to what happens when you increase volume and spend on one one channel. So for example, if we have 70% spend on Facebook and 30% on Google ads, then the ROAS on Google ads might be higher and it might be tempting to say, let's just put more money into Google ads. But then if you do that, you see the ROAS drop, your overall marketing efficiency ratio drop, or even worse, what you could do if you see Facebook, the ROAS is lower, you think we've got to reduce spend on Facebook. And you do that and maybe for a very short time, you'll see your overall MER increase. But then all the top of the funnel traffic dries up and you're, you're like, it's like killing the golden goose just trying to get the eggs. <laughs> and and so we see that when it's all the Facebook ROAS isn't as high as Google, let's reduce spend on Facebook or increase on Google. And the overall balance gets out of whack. So would it be fair to say that Murr is telling you how good your marketing is doing overall and that efficiency is gained by looking at the different channel attribution and adjusting those? So in, in this regard, I'd also like to add one thing like, that makes us think like how important it is to have the right KPIs for right set of audience. Say, for example, if for a top of the funnel audience, the KPI could never be same as a lower funnel audience, lower funnel traffic. And that is why tools like Wicked Report or NordBeam comes to play. Even GA4. With GA4, we have the functionality to create a lot of event, a lot of conversion and customize it as we want it. And that gives and we could even for a marketer who is not using wicked report or northbeam or any third party tool i think for using ga4 they should 
set uh, decide on the right set set of kpi for the right type of audience and based on that they should decide on where to allocate more budget or where to reduce budget yep great all right as a brand new newbie to google ads would it be wise to run a performance max campaign for leads for medical practice and what are the best campaigns to run for those and i'll add a third question as a Google Ads newbie, how do you gain the confidence to make decisions and spend money? Great question. I would actually say don't run Performance Max. You don't need to. It's going to attract a lot of spam leads. And it's also, as we talked about, this offline conversion tracking. And that is not really something you want to tackle as a newbie. But the good news is you don't have to do that. I'm not pass this one over to you because yeah. you've run a lot of on a lead gen for um, yeah for a medical practice so this is a local medical yeah. practice so I'll, yeah, I'll, just, might, I'll pass over to Ollie here it still might be expensive on the cost per click for each keyword it's a medical in health usually it's expensive but what I would suggest is uh, maybe a, a search campaign eventually I would go for and if it's to learn Google Ads also as a newbie I would go for a search campaign and take some high intent keywords. So really, I needed, I don't know exactly the medical mic practice, but I need a dentist or I'm searching for a dentist, searching for a dentist, some long tail keyword and run the traffic, not too many keywords, and then learn how the keywords are interacting and try to find the search term that are related with the keyword. So I, research a certain and you will you will learn how everything works with keywords and words with your landing page and then it might help you go further in the process without spending all your money on a 100 dollars keyword so you go search broad high intent and you cpc of course ecpc so not don't put the bid too high don't try to be on the first try to get some conversion and and, and see how it go that's how i would suggest to start with because you, you learn the basic from from there uh maybe guys you have a another suggestion to start no i think that's really sound advice and yeah once you run i think that and the key is too to educate the client that the idea is not to run launch campaigns and expect everything to work from the get-go, you need to buy data. And the data you're going to get is, like Ollie said, seeing the search terms. So when you run the keywords, you'll see, you click into keywords, then you click into search terms, you'll see what has the most clicks, the most impressions, and the most spend. And then with your conversion tracking up, you'll see what keywords are getting the highest number of conversions. Or you might see some keywords are, have a higher cost per click than others and the conversions cost more. So that's the kind of data then that you can take and use to formulate the next part of your plan. So really the first, really the first 60 days you're gathering data and that's really important for the client to understand and to keep them focused on the long-term goal, which is continuous business, continuous lead flow. And when people go to search, they see that medical practice more often than their competitors. They click on those ads and that helps that business grow. As far as like coming up with the keywords, the obvious ones are like whatever the specific kind of doctor is near me, right? There's 
probably something around how do I fix such and such problem. If you have access to the clients themselves, it might be worth asking them what they searched for or how they found Mm. you. And really using that as some fodder for what actual people are using to find the practice. Also, Um, Google My Business is very important for local medical practices. So make sure you have a, make sure the client has a Google My Business profile. It's quite easy to help them set that up if they don't have it. And then you can run smart campaigns, but I think they might be going away soon. I'm not sure. But you can run campaigns that will boost the listing in Google My Business. And is Google My Business a part a Google product? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is your performance back for local right. also? I mean, I don't know if it's working really well the, for local business, the performance max, but for local, the, it was the old local campaign. But uh, Right. Yeah. What I was saying, like also in the medical type of ads, in, there are a lot of restriction, like you cannot do remarketing. And you also cannot updo, update customer list and this type of restrictions are there. So like when you are starting Google ads for a medical practice, I think it's always better to go with search because the because performance max, even though it runs in the on all channel and performance max learns from the data. And uh, here you cannot feed in any customer data back to Google or anything. So right. In, in that manner, like... I think the best way to go forward for a medical practice is, is, is a search. That's right. You go to the doctor when you need to. And so that's what makes it so search heavy. You can still run Facebook ads and YouTube to get people in the local area aware for when they do need to go to the doctor, but that's very cost intensive as well. And for most medical practices, making sure they have continuous patients coming in, that patients prefer to go to them versus their competitors. So then down the track, we could look at some kind of top of funnel, local awareness kind of campaign. Have you guys ever tried running like local medical practice stuff within Nextdoor ads? I have not, no. No. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, uh, I'm not even sure, not even sure what Nextdoor is. Uh, so Nextdoor is like your local like neighborhood chat community, for lack of a better term. And they have advertising on it. Jonathan from the meta side he has run some stuff for there. I don't know if he's done any sort of thing, anything with medical, especially since medical is so high in yeah. that it might not Here, be so is just says, like that. has just said this is for plastic surgery or plastic surgery practice. Now, this changes things a little bit. So it's more expensive, it's competitive, and you have to navigate the, what your ads say. And now plastic surgery, it's, it can be difficult to run images as well. For both Facebook and Google ads will ban images that in their terms show an idealized body image. So you have to make your messaging more around confidence, lifestyle, that that kind of messaging rather than making it related to appearance. It can be a little tricky, but I still think search, you're okay. You're perfectly fine to run ads on, if people are searching for a plastic surgery or cosmetic surgeon, near me, you are perfectly fine to run ads that say cosmetic surgeon, plastic surgeon, because that's what people are searching for. But it gets a little tricky with the top of funnel and that's with Performance Max. The other thing with Performance Max is we have some scripts that will break down exactly how the campaign is spending in the different channels. Something Google doesn't give us, but big shout out to Mike Rhodes here for developing this script and sharing it with us. I have found in so most cases with Performance Max, 
it very rarely spends on display. And so you can spend a lot of time agonizing over your display images, which you should be doing if you're running on Facebook or you're running outbound display because you should be. But for Performance Max, it's probably going to be really likely that Performance Max isn't even going to use those images very much. I think Performance Max is not the campaign to start with here for plastic surgery practice. You want to get your search campaigns working and then add try and add display YouTube as well. And then that's when Performance Max performs best, when the other channels are working and you add Performance Max and it supercharges everything. How about like any sort of testimonial ads for plastic surgery? Yeah, maybe shorts. Maybe, yeah, shorts. Yeah, yeah. And again, and I think it's just, I haven't tried it, so I, but I would imagine you have to still be very careful if it's testimonials, you can't show before and after, things like that. So it has to be, the testimony would have to be more about the experience, the prof- talking about the professionalism of the clinic and the doctors, and also talking about feeling more confident or just a, a change in feeling. That's how I imagine you'd have to approach it. Maybe even just talking about the trust that the doctor instilled right, in you. Right, exactly, exactly, because that's very important. It's going to... A surgeon to get this kind of procedures, his trust is so much of a part of it. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I think testimonials are definitely very powerful. You want to have them on the website, but that's also something you have to be careful about. Like on the website, Google and Facebook can crawl the website. And if they find some images, which they don't fall within their landing page experience terms or ad experience, then they can disapprove the ads too, based on the landing page. So it's yeah, just something that really has to be navigated. You also have some that create a community or around their, their business. So even a surgeon, and they create a community. So they, they create the trust from the community, for, for example, on Instagram or on the YouTube channel. And then you can do the ads behind and you do more branded and a little bit of search. But branded would help. It's easier to be compliant because they are just searching for the name of the of the surgeon instead of searching for, okay, I want to change my face whatsoever. So it's more work behind and maybe more time consuming because you have to create that community and create the trust. Right. Uh, We have a follow-up question. Do you think consent model enhanced conversions would improve the lead quality? I'm not really sure what consent model is. The enhanced conversions... Yes, enhanced conversions, and this is very exciting. I should have mentioned this. It's now possible to use offline conversion tracking without having to capture the Google Click ID. And what basically what that means is offline conversion tracking used to be very tedious to set up. You would need developers, and I, to this day, still don't know how to actually do it. I, we get our tech team to do it. I understand the process, but... In terms of what they're actually doing is it's just beyond my level of website technicality now you don't need to do any of that you can google has enhanced conversions for leads which will match the original click to the converted lead so yes muscan enhanced conversions for leads will definitely help the google tag implementation team that's a free service you can book an appointment with them and they will help you set that up. It just, it requires Google Tag Manager 
and it's a much simpler process and you don't need to change your website, which I love as well, because it's so easy to break things on websites and here you don't need to touch anything in the website, as far as I understand. Enhanced conversions, specifically enhanced conversions for leads, that's the feature you want to be implementing there. All right. What are everyone's thoughts on negative keyword strategy when using smart bidding? Since Google will use signals we can't see to find conversions based on your conversion action goals. For example, if your keywords are close variant matching to competitor searches, but those are generating quality conversions, would you negative them out still? Good question. Sure, Holly, you want to take this one? One of you. When you are running a campaign in Google Ads, the ultimate goal is to get conversions. And if it is bringing conversions, then why not? I don't really, if it is bringing conversion and it is working, I think then you should not do that. But like when you are using smart bidding, I think, and using broad match keywords, using a strategy like broad emission, I think it's very important to keep a close eye on the search term report that is happening. I would do it once every week, like every week, go through all the search term, see which are converting, which are getting a lot of clicks, but no conversion or consuming a lot of your budget, but not resulting in conversion. Add those to negative list. At least you should wait for to, if it is like two clicks or five clicks and it have not got any conversion, that doesn't mean it's a bad search term. At least you should wait for a decent amount of data so that the data, at least, I would say at least 30 clicks for small accounts, 100 clicks for big accounts. And yeah, if it is not resulting in conversion, then add those at negative. And if it is resulting in conversion, even though it is competitor searches, who cares? Don't touch. <laughs> conversion is... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have a, general, a golden rule here. If something's working, don't turn it yeah. off. But I think it's put yourself in the customer's shoes. Like they're searching for something. And even if it they're searching for a competitor and see yours, they're actually make, making a decision that yours is better. So I don't think, I don't see any issue with doing anything that's close to a competitor. And you know, that's the thing that's working. Don't turn it off. If you may see an opportunity as you scale that you may then create a separate competitors campaign, because if those keywords are converting, they're likely going to convert. Then if you actually run the competitors keywords as well, so yeah, that's, that can be a structured decision, but always, whenever you make changes in an account, start with the least riskiest changes first. Okay. So if you're, for example, if in the account, you're seeing those good conversions, but they're only making up 2% of spend, then it's, you're going to be fine to take those competitor keywords and put them in their own campaign and boost traffic to them. Now, however, if you're seeing that particular traffic that in that campaign and those competitive keywords are like 50% of the spend in the account. That's an extreme case, but you don't want to go ahead and mess that up by making a big change. So that's another rule of thumb. When optimizing, start with the least riskiest optimizations first, work towards the more higher stakes optimizations. Also, I'd like to add one thing to, to your point, Nick. Like what I have observed, like when you specifically target the competitor terms, the cost per click can get really high. And now if the competitor's terms are being attracted by your non-brand keyword, which are running in broad match, those, and if it is resulting in conversion, for those, you would be in a much better position to run those as separate. If you have budget for it, and if it is converting really well and have a high conversion rate, I think you should definitely 
click the try but it is not if it's not significant of amount of data and you are just saying that the non brand keyword may be attracting some competitor searches and maybe have few conversion from it as well i think i shouldn't do anything about it yeah agree not start never always be afraid to start a bidding war with your competitor because uh, <laughs> it's, it's always dangerous yes. to bid on your competitor so you Ollie, don't want to yeah, make do it too to, and you raised a really good point, Ollie, in a couple of accounts where the kind yeah. of language you use with your competitor campaigns. I don't like the better than. Yeah. The better than. I'm better than this. I'm more, my product are better than this. It's, it's, okay. If your competitors see that, how would you react? As a competitor, it's like what? So you're gonna you're gonna start a big war. Start a war. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then it's not a win-win. It's a lose-lose for both you and your competitors. You're gonna pay more for your traffic. He's gonna pay more for it. It's not good. So make it smart. It's like not 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 that way. Don't. Yeah. So maybe the headlines need you know need to be. For example, if you're selling floor something, I'm just gonna stop my head like a floor. Some kind of special floor polish. It's called what Shazam floor polish, and your competitor is called Boom. Okay, don't say Shazam better than Boom, much better than Boom, because it's just starting the war. Then when the Boom company sees your ad, they're like, well, "Now we're going to bid on this and use say bad things about them too." But you can say before you buy a floor cleaning, before you buy a floor polish, check this out. You know, and running that on a competitor ad then can be catchy because it's oh, I'm going to buy the Boom, but then I see oh, who are these. They're just saying, before you buy a floor product, check this out. Oh, okay. Well, I click on that. It's always entering your customer's conversation that's going on in their head. If you can insert something like that in there when they're going through this finding process, that will really hopefully drive people away from your competitor. All right, moving on. I know we have a couple other topics here. Nick, you mentioned that lifetime value for a customer. Yes, yeah, so performance max and search campaigns already have a feature where you can bid for new customers only so you're basically training google by uploading your customer list so it can see your customer lists and then it will work hard to only go after new customers very powerful for businesses that are subscription based and have a lot of repeat customers because performance max and and google ads in general can end up going after people who are already customers and which is okay but really the growth for subscription based and businesses with a high amount of returning customers a high lifetime value is getting new customers in the door because then they're profitable over time so this feature from google is at the moment allows you to go after new customers the next feature is going to allow you to go after customers who are most likely to become your highest spending customers it's called lifetime value new customer acquisition. And so what that means is when you upload your customer list that are your highest spending customers, that your most valuable customers, you're training Google to recognize, join the dots with those customers and go after new customers who are most likely to become to join that group. Now, this is going to require volume. That's, that is a caveat here. It is going to require that you have a large customer list and you're able to identify a large amount of people who, you know, are the 80-20, the 20% who generate 80% of your revenue or close to whatever that ratio looks like. You can now upload that list to Google Ads and Google will go after people who are new customers who 
are likely to spend the most. How often should you be re-uploading that list or updating Well, the best it? thing to do is sync up with Zapier, Shopify and Zapier or your CRM. There's many ways to do that now. You don't need to worry about it. You just need to check it to maintain it. But so it's a much, much better way to do it. It removes the human error element. And basically what happens is if somebody, say in Shopify, a new customer comes in and buys something, Shopify fires off that customer to the customer list in Google Ads. Now, Google Ads knows, oh, this is a new customer. They're no longer a new customer. They're an existing customer, and it does it automatically. Nice. All right. For broad match keywords, do you find that long tail keywords drive better quality searches than short tail? Yeah, Ali, sure. It, I think this is one of those it depends questions, but I'll... Uh, yeah, it depends. It depends, really. But it depends on your niche. It depends upon your product. And for match keywords, like if it is long tail or if it is too long, I think it could potentially match up to a lot more of search terms. And if you are in limited budget, that could go against you sometimes. Yeah, I just, I think I understand the question, but no, I always just use the rule of thumb that the more specific a search term is, the closer somebody is to making a, a decision. The percentage of commercial of buying intent searches on Google is staggeringly small. And I don't have the exact stats, but it's something like 2%. It's something ridiculous, like 2% of searches on Google ads are for products and like with buying intent, They're looking for some kind of search that's related to buying something. And that's what we need to remember. So the vast majority of searches on Google are research-based, like finding answers to problems. And this is where SEO is still, and as long as we're using search engines, SEO is going to be such an important strategy with content. And if somebody's searching for something like, uh, how do I protect my car from the elements? They're going to want to look at a few different options and a few different things, and they're not going to want to just have a product thrust in their face right away. They're not in that stage yet they're like looking for what options do i have do i take it to a professional can i do it myself the running ads on those kind of keywords the question is with broad match keywords you find that long tail keywords bright drive better quality searches than short tail it depends on the intent and also one broad match keyword can have literally a thousand search terms if we've seen in some cases if it's a long tail keyword then it depends on the intent and the landing page. So I would say no. I would actually say in terms of performance, I found it more difficult to target long tail keywords with broad match. Sorry, target, yeah, broad match long tail keywords. That's just my experience. So it's, I'm not going to say this is like definite, but the broad match keywords I find work the best are generally closest to the specific what the specific product is and the thing with broad match keywords these days too like it, it google uses so many signals and it uses more what it knows about the searcher than the actual keyword i would say i found in general that broad match keywords the closer they are to the actual what the product is those have better performance and then you'll see in the search terms you might see some of the relevance or not the relevance but the 
proximity to the actual products fades with certain search terms and goes more long tail. Yeah, really interesting question. Yeah. It depends. On, a little yeah. follow-up here. It depends. <laughs> on, yeah, I was reading the yeah. follow-up. Yeah, it's like, it depends on the short. Yeah. This well, is way list- too short. This is yeah. plumber. Plumber is too short. Oh, pe- people are searching all kinds of I- items related to plumber. So I, uh, how can I become a plumber? It's not the same as I'm searching a plumber today or near me. It's really different. So what one word, no. A, sh- a short tail, normal in the broad, I would say two words, maybe three words. And then long tail, a little bit more, three, four, five. But not one one keyword. It's it's gonna be a killer. It's gonna kill your budget because it's gonna go so wild, so wild before you you, you can see some 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 result. And you know the other thing too is broad match keywords work best with volume. Looking at as the plumber example here, if this is a local business, Ali has and probably even Shurid, I'm not sure, but has more experience with local service PPC and search than I do. With the volume, if you're looking at a certain area, then broad match just may not be the best option with a match top, just purely due to volume. That's getting into a different topic. But yeah, I would be careful with broad match with low volume. But I think it's a really good idea or idea that you're talking about there, Ollie, of like really capturing the intent of the search in the fewest words possible. Plumber doesn't really capture the intent. I need a plumbing plumber. services or I need a plumber. Yeah. Plumber, phone number, and then the city or the block or whatsoever. Plumber on 54. Now, sometimes people are typing that because they are on their phone and they, they need that. So, it's, yeah. But plumber as a one keyword, no, it's two. It's two. It, it, it's broad, but it's too broad. The other part of his question here, which is also interesting, I know we love our ChatGPT. Should you be using ChatGPT to help you generate keywords? Why not? Yeah. Uh, we actually, as a team, we developed a, a workflow with Google Sheets that would basically, you enter the product name, three features and benefits, and then basically give that to ChatGPT and say, generate 30 keywords, segment those keywords into groups by intent, and write RSA ads for all of these. And the only part where we got stuck was populating it all putting it all back into a Google sheet that we can upload to ads editor, but everything else it did and it did it really well. So we're heading towards a world where we enter the product, Google creates the campaigns and we need to basically understand the customers better than anybody else. We have that edge, but that's where the edge is going to come from. So that's, that's venturing into the whole AI topic, which I know we've had an episode here on AI so this is Google Ads, so just touching on that. But yeah, cool topic for sure. My marketing mind is like, this is a perfect lead magnet. <laughs> we got to get this sheet out to everybody. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's coming. <laughs> we'll figure that out. What else? And also, Nick, I need to give you props. You're like the human chat GPT today. It's give me two competitive businesses and tell me how they're going to bid against each other. And you come up with a Zam and, and Zoom floor <laughs> polishing. Yeah. All right. Do you guys have any other topics or what's working now? Anything you want to hit on about Google Ads that you're excited about? I think that's the overall feeling we have in the agency around around Google Ads. These these guys. And a big shout out to Rashna, who is not on today, but she'll be on the next customer acquisition show for Google Ads. Just continually, we 
and these guys definitely inspire me. Very, we're all very curious. We like Google Ads so much; it's weird. And it's, it's, it's very, it's exciting space to be in for sure. All right, fellas, all through it, Ali, Nick, thank you very much. And for anybody out there who really enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends. It's really a way for the team at Tier Eleven to share our knowledge. Like we will get as tactical as you want, or as strategic as you want. Yeah, it's really for us to really sharpen our skills and share what we've learned to make the industry as a whole better. So please share the customer acquisition show. And if you are a brand looking to explore having an agency run your Google ads, head over to tier11.com and we'd be more than happy to chat with you. All right, everybody, thank you very much. And until next time, I'm Tom Meredith, the VP of marketing and Surat Ali, Nick, the amazing Google team. I will catch you guys later. Thanks for listening to the customer acquisition show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.